Dear Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fasten securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our opening text of Scripture is from 1 Corinthians 9.16, the last part. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He was speaking primarily of himself as an apostle who had been called to the Lord. He was speaking also of everyone who professes the name of Jesus Christ. Woe is you if you are not out telling men and women of the wonderful love of Jesus Christ. You don't have to tell them about a lot of so-called theoretical doctrine, but the world is longing to know, is Jesus Christ able to save you? Is he able to take care of your problems? Woe is me if I don't tell men and women when they ask of the joy and the satisfaction that I have found in Jesus Christ. Many of you have heard, perhaps, either on tape or have read from some of our books, how at the age of six <clears throat> I was told the story of Jesus Christ. Upstairs in the old farmhouse, Mother sweeping the floor, and her little six-year-old boy tagging behind. And Mother told me what she may have told me many times before. She told me the simple story of the life and death of Jesus Christ. She told about the little stars that twinkled over Bethlehem. She told of the visit of the wise men, the shepherds, she told me that beautiful story of the birth of Jesus, and then she went on in the simplest language that a mother can use. To me, it was the most eloquent story I've ever listened to, the story, the simple story of Jesus Christ. And she went on into his early life, his older life, his ministry, <clears throat> and then she led me into that dramatic story of those trials before Caiaphas, before Pilate, before Herod, again before Pilate, of the crown of thorns, of his beautiful meekness, of his unretaliating nature. And I want to tell you, my friends, as I saw him going through all of that, for me, and then I marched with him in that reverent procession toward Calvary, my heart was breaking. As I saw my Lord stretched on Calvary for me, I cried out, Mother, what shall I do? What shall I do? And she quoted to me, as I recall now, 1 John <clears throat> 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us <clears throat> from all unrighteousness. Friends, I believe that promise. I never knew the ABCs of prayer as we're sharing them now for many years. But in simple childlike faith, <clears throat> I accepted the principle 
The principle is to ask him to forgive me and cleanse me, as he promised in 1 John 1, 9. And then to simply believe that he's done it. And then to thank him that I have received. And you know, my friends, that's what I did. I knelt down with my mother, and I asked Jesus to do what he promised. He shed his blood on Calvary for me. He did it, and I have forgiveness and redemption through his blood. Paul says, even the forgiveness of our sins. I rose from my knees as a six-year-old child, and I believed with all my heart that Jesus Christ had forgiven me and cleansed me. Friends, any of you this evening can do the same. Our sins are not too great. Though our sins be as scarlet, we, we declare it over and over and over again. He will make them white as snow. And that's what he did for me as a six-year-old boy. Have you let him do it for you? And if he has done it, why not tell others of the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed us from all sin? I rose from my knees with my mother and one of my older brothers, who was the wayward one of the family, was passing through the room. And I noticed that he sort of tittered a little bit because uh, I had a, a sort of a brogue <laughs> and I didn't pronounce the words very clearly. There was something wrong with me. There has been ever since, but there's nothing wrong with Jesus. And as he looked at me as though he were belittling me, it pained my heart, as though there was some unreality to the experience that had become so real to me. And Mother quickly assured me, your sins are forgiven. Though, though your voice wasn't enunciating it too clearly, Jesus knew exactly what you're saying. Oh, what comfort it brought to me. Friends, when you reach up and take hold of the promises of God, your diction may be faulty, but the Lord knows what you're saying in your heart, and the Holy Spirit interprets it in the beautiful language of heaven. Aren't you glad for that? A couple years later or so, at the midnight hour, I had a dream. I dreamed that my brother Lester was drowning in the ocean. I dreamed that there was a very, very angry wave and big wave between him and me. And as I looked in the direction of my brother, and I thought, oh, I would love to save him. And I saw his, his eyes, his pleading eyes, looking at me, hoping that I would do something to, to help him and to save him. And there I was, realizing that if I should plunge in to try to save him, I would be destroyed. And while I was wondering and how in the world could I possibly save my brother, I awakened. I was full of perspiration. The tears were coursing down my cheeks. My body was trembling. I wanted to save my brother. The pleading look on his face, my friends, was just speaking to my heart. And then a voice, not an audible voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, an eight or nine-year-old boy, if you please. Glenn, you have brothers and sisters all over the world who are sinking in the waves of sin. I want you, 
I want you to go and save them. And I still remember how I looked up in the face of the Lord through my tears. And in effect, I said, Lord, I couldn't even save my brother. And around the home, I've never been able to do anything right, it seems. I'm completely helpless. And the voice came back. I know you're helpless, but I'll teach you. I'll go with you. I'll instruct you. And I said, oh, Lord, if you'll do it. Here is my heart. Here is my life. And my friends, as I walked down the little dusty roads, for we lived in the country, I would look at the house on the right. And I said, Lord, are they ready to meet Jesus? Oh, how I wish I could say something to them about Jesus Christ, who has become so precious to me. Oh, Lord, and the house over there on the left, as I'd walk along, are they ready to meet you? And my friends, that obsession has never left my soul. I've made many mistakes in my life, but that voice of God that speaks to every human heart who sees Jesus and who recognizes that Jesus came from Gloryland, came past, down past teleworlds and systems and planets and suffered and died for me, that so longs to share the love of Jesus Christ with other hearts. It's part of conversion. And that soul that has no burden to see another person find the peace and the joy that comes by forgiveness, that soul has never yet really captured what God has done for our souls. You find in your heart no burden for another heart? If so, look to Calvary. See the agony through which the Son of God, the master mechanic of the universe, passed for you. He gave up the glory and the adoration, the worship of the angels in Gloryland, and he came down and suffered for us. Friends, in the, how on earth can you and I possibly Behold Jesus on the cross, dying for us, that we might live eternally and have no burden to see another soul saved. Paul said, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is good news. Good news, sinner. Jesus forgave and cleansed me of sin, and he'll do it for you. We don't have to go into the sordidity of our lives. We can keep pointing them to Jesus Christ. He's been good to me. Let's tell him this. Let's declare it everywhere we go. What do you say? Amen. You don't have to go around giving a lot of theory. Let them know that I have been to Calvary. And there is I have knelt before the cross of Jesus. And the peace that comes as a result of forgiveness has flooded my soul. We share it with others. Have you never done it? Oh, let me repeat. Don't think that you've got to give a lot of theory. Do what Jesus told the demoniac to do, as found in Mark 5, 19. Go home. Tell your friends how great things the Lord has done for you, how he's had compassion on you. That's what the world needs to know. They want to know, will God have compassion on me? Will he really forgive me? With all the mistakes and the sins that I have committed, will he really forgive me? Yes, he will. You know how I know? He forgave me. He's cleansed me, unworthy though I am. I've accepted him by faith. The world is dying for that. Will you go and tell them? Will you let them know there's peace? Will you let them know there's salvation in simply believing and trusting in Jesus Christ? Will you do it? 
My friends, as I entered the ministry, my soul was on fire for the Lord. I remember early in my ministry, I read a book that just thrilled my soul as it told about Jesus. When my wife and I went as missionaries soon after we were married, they asked me to conduct a six o'clock series of meetings called the Spiritual Emphasis Week, six o'clock in the morning. A church about the size of this building where we are speaking right now was almost filled every morning at six o'clock. We tried to magnify Jesus Christ. We told people it's good news. Jesus forgives. God loves us. He's not looking down his nose at us. And my friends, among those that were attending was a young man who got up and gave his testimony before the week was ended. We had a testimony service. And he told how that he was reared in a Christian home full of criticism, full of backbiting. And it stifled his, his, his hope, his love, and that God loved him. The thought somehow was distant. He said, though I belong to a professed Christian family, he said, every time I saw a funeral procession going down the street, I wish that I was in that box. But he said, this week, everything has changed. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, as we tell men and women about Calvary, as we let them know that God cares, he really cares, as they know that he will forgive our sins and cleanse us. They're filled with hope. Every soul tonight can have that hope. And not merely get that hope, but friends, go out and share it everywhere you go. Tell them that Jesus loves. Tell them that Jesus cares. Tell them that you know he forgives. Tell them that you know he cleanses. He loves us so. About this time, in fact, early in my ministry, I came across a book that told me about the promises of God. It's a wonderful book entitled The Ministry of Healing, page 122. Oh, my. If that didn't reveal to me uh, a depth of the love of Jesus Christ, it went on to say that everything Jesus said, every promise he gave, is for us today, and that we have the right to look into this love book of God and know that whatever he promised anyone else, we, with like faith, under similar circumstances, may claim. I said, thank the Lord. They're for me. And then it went on to state that as we drink in the promises of God, we're actually drinking in the life of Jesus Christ. He not merely came and died for us and shed his blood. He lived for us. And he wants to live in us. And we take hold of him through the promises of God. And we're told, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. I'm quoting 2 Peter 1.4. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. You see, the life of Jesus is in his word. And as I drink in his word, in simple faith, Christ comes into my heart and gives me power over the lusts of the world. I said, oh my, I want to share that with the world. I did it many times in my ministry. I took much time with the Lord much in my ministry. At other times, I found myself so busy, so very busy, counseling with people, sometimes till midnight, getting up and before I could have my worship with the Lord, taking the time I would like, the telephone would ring. 
and I found myself neglecting the life of Jesus. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Psalm 1611. And when we don't drink in of his presence, the joy evaporates. And then I'd come back again and drink in of his life through his promises. And so it went. And I found miracle after miracle after miracle took place. We found devils were cast out in our ministry. Men were healed instantly in many cases. We said, thank the Lord. His life is in his word. And we're going to let men and women know that Jesus Christ still lives. And he lives in human flesh. And we can be partakers of his nature through drinking of his wonderful promises. So it went until 1946. In 1946, my wife and I were conducting a series of meetings with a team of ours in Rochester, New York. One of the most lovely auditoriums we've ever held a series of meetings in, the, the loveliest, in fact. We're giving out a little book entitled, What God Hath Promised. And we're thrilled because the Bible says what God has promised, he's able to perform. He's not merely able to perform, but Calvary says he will perform it. Calvary says he's interested in every intricacy, every detail of our lives. He even numbers the hairs of our head. Don't you thank the Lord? And I said, Lord, I have used these promises. The life of Christ has been shed abroad, and then I've neglected. Lord, I'm going back to these promises and never before in all my life. I was spending an hour, an hour and a half with the Lord each morning in devotion, drinking in of the life of Jesus. I had a prayer list of 165. On that prayer list were a few people whom I knew very well who uh, didn't like me. <laughs> now, when the life of Jesus fills our lives, you know what happens? The person you can't love, you do love. You can't do it by yourself. But his life in us has the same response as when he died on Calvary. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I found myself praying my heart out for these men who hated the very ground I walked on. I found nothing but love in my heart. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus in us brings love, for he is love. God is love. And about this time, in fact, for several years, physicians who were close friends of mine told me that unless I got a lot of more physical exercise, my ministry was going to close. But the Apostle Paul said, and we quoted it at the beginning of this study, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. That burden which the Lord gave me as a little boy was with me. Lord, I don't want to die. Thousands of people had already accepted Christ in our ministry. Lord, I want to share it with thousands more. Lord, I want to live. And I said, yet here I am in a home in Rochester that doesn't even have enough ground for garden. I didn't know how to play ball. I didn't know how to play tennis. I didn't know how to play any of the games. I'd had to work my way through school on the farm. The only thing I knew was how to work in the ground, make a garden. And I didn't even have room for a garden. I said, dear Lord, I believe I ought to get a place. It seemed like the Lord was telling me that. I better get a place where I'll have a little garden, and there I can get the exercise. 
I knew that I would, my ministry was going to close. That was 30 years ago. I often tell people I was an old man 30 years ago, and I was. And as I was there, morning by morning, praying my heart out to God, claiming his promises, a thought voice from the Lord said, you've been looking around a little bit already for a place. You've not found it. Why don't you dedicate one whole day to finding a place out in the country where you can have a garden? And if there's more than a garden, all the better. Why don't you dedicate one whole day? And I said, that sounds good. And I sat down and wrote a letter to the Lord. And the letter went something like this. Dear Lord, if you want me to move where there's some ground that I can work, help me to find the place today. I might be moved. We've been there a few years. So I said, Lord, I don't know how soon I'd be moved. If you want me to get a place right away where I can get some exercise and live and, and keep preaching the gospel, help me to get it today. And I wrote it and I said, then I remembered the promise. If two of you shall agree, that's Matthew 18, 19, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And did you know what that promise is dealing with? It's dealing with the salvation of a human soul. You'll find it in the context before this verse. We're talking about saving souls. We're talking about woe is me if I preach not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see many more hundreds go trooping through the gates to the new Jerusalem, washed in the blood of the Lamb. I went down where my wife was doing her laundry. I showed her the little letter I'd written to the Lord. I said, honey, do you agree that this would be a, a safe sign to give to the Lord? I said, I don't want to waste a lot of time. I was pastor of a, of a church and we just baptized 140 or so people. I had no time to waste. I said, would that be fair, do you think? If we don't find the place today, we'll forget it. Maybe it means we're going to be moved. She said, that sounds reasonable to me. So she got ready and we traveled all day. And you know what? We couldn't find one single place, and we'd been looking off and on for several weeks, one single house that had just one lot that was for sale. And nobody on those big farms would sell us even, even an acre or a quarter of an acre. We said, what in the world are we going to do? So the thought came to me, a very stupid thought. <laughs> well, if they won't sell you a lot or an acre, buy a farm. And in a few moments, you'll know why that was way out. <laughs> when you learn how much money I had. <laughs> Remember, friends, Jesus is interested in your and my telling men and women about Jesus. And if it's necessary for him to work a miracle of healing <clears throat> in our lives in order for us to share Calvary, he can do it. Amen? Amen? And that was the thing that was at stake. Would my life be extended? <laughs> we looked all day. We went and looked at farms. <laughs> One farm, I can't tell you exactly, they had maybe 50 head of cattle, <laughs> maybe $25,000 worth of machinery. <clears throat> And I looked at those cattle. I thought, I don't need any more animals. There are four of us coons already. I don't need any animals. Machinery? <clears throat> There's enough machinery in the church already. I don't need machinery. I just want a little plot of ground where I can get exercise. 
Then we went to another place and still another. All day long, we found nothing but farms. <laughs> when we came to the close of the day, <clears throat> my wife said, well, I think I'll prepare supper. And I felt impressed. Maybe I ought to try just once more. So I went out Route 104 out of Rochester, and as I was going, I was thinking of what a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Savior. I was thinking of the wonderful times he'd come to my rescue and answered my prayers because I was worthy, yes or no? No, a thousand times no. God does not answer our prayers because we're good. He answers our prayers because Christ is good. Can you say amen? amen. And as I was driving along, I was thinking, Lord, there you did a tremendous series of miracles for me. What a wonderful Savior. Lord, you can do it again. But Lord, there's not much time left of today. And just then, that thought voice came, loud and clear, not audible. It's right there at your right. I parked my car. I saw a big old farmhouse, framed farm, farmhouse. And there's no for sale sign. But you know, our Lord deals in miracles. He loves to work miracles. <clears throat> we must never forget the Christ who died on Calvary is the creator of the universe. He creates answers. He loves to do it. Don't, don't limit God, beloved. Don't limit God. Remember, our Savior, who creates the new heart, creates the universe. He made it all. And I said, there's no for sale sign. But as I was going, the thought voice was so clear to me that as I was running toward the house, I said, thank you, Lord, this is it. Thank you, Lord, this is it. And then the thought came to me, maybe it isn't. No for sale sign. And so as I rang the doorbell, I was asking the Lord, Lord, how, how do you approach this when you don't know whether it is or not? I thought it was. The lady came to the door and I said, uh, is this the place that was for sale? And she almost appeared shocked. Much as say, how did you know? She said, yes. She said, we had given a man an option on this place subject to its being rezoned, this farm. This what? Farm. <laughs> subject to its being rezoned. And he just got word today, the rezoning is turned down. So it's available. I said, whom shall I see? She said, my husband. Where is he? She said, down here to the market. I jumped in my car and I, it seemed like I was almost riding on cloud nine. Did you ever go on cloud nine? It's a lot of fun. Until you hit earth. <clears throat> Ran in the market. Are you the one that owns this farm? He said, yes, sir. I understand it's for sale. He said, yes. <clears throat> now, all I had seen was that house and two old barns and one cow. <laughs> I was so glad. Not a whole herd of cattle. <laughs> one cow, and she looked like she had been retired. <laughs> and two or three pieces of old machinery. <laughs> that would fit my budget better. I said, how much? How many acres? He said, 80 acres. Man, couldn't I get exercise on 80 acres? <laughs> How much? He said, 18,000. I said, sold. <laughs> and I made him a deposit. $10. $10. I found this, friends. God isn't limited to the amount of money we have. He has the cattle on the thousand hills. And as, as one of our dear friends says, 
When he needs a little more money, all he needs to do is sell a few cattle from the Thousand Hills. He owns it. It's his. I said, sold, made him a deposit of $10. I'll be back next Monday. We'll go down to the lawyers and we'll fix up a contract. Went at the lawyer. The lawyer was an atheist. <clears throat> Will you arrange this contract? Yes, he was very gracious. His name was Phil Liebschutz, an atheist, but a beautiful character. President of a bank, president of a large law firm. Now I said, after so many weeks, I, no I named the number of weeks, I will turn in, <clears throat> oh, today I said, I'll give $40 more. Isn't that tremendous? <laughs> that made $50. <laughs> you can guess why I didn't make it 51. I had 50. <laughs> I'm a preacher. I'll be back at such and such a time, so many weeks, not too many weeks from now, and I'll turn another payment in of $3,500. And the lawyer, being a lawyer, and being a banker, and being a businessman, and a good thinker, he said, uh, very graciously, he said, of course you have the money in the bank. <laughs> I said, no, I don't. Do you mind how you plan to have it then? I said, I have a house. I'm going to sell the house and the lot. He said, you mean you have that much money in it? No, I don't. <clears throat> and he kind of blinked twice. You don't have the money in it, and yet you expect to get it out? Oh, you're so gracious. Could you tell me about how you plan to do that? <laughs> I said, for one thing, I got a bargain, Mr. Liebschutz. And the second is, I'm a minister, <laughs> and I believe the Bible, and I'm claiming its promises, and God has never let me down. And you ought to have seen the gracious, nonchalant look. He couldn't see through that one. He could see through many a deal, but he didn't know the deal of the Lord. He, he said, well, he asked a couple more times, you don't always sell places, you know, as, as soon as you expect. I know it, Mr. Liebschutz, but have no fear. The money will be here. And he was too gracious to say, preachers don't have any sense in business. He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say that. But just suppose it isn't there, Dr. Kuhn. I said, have no fear, have no fear to be there. Now, after so many more months, I'll turn in another 6,000. I didn't have any place to sell to get that. And the man was too gracious to say, where are you going to get it? <laughs> there it was. And then the other payments all figured out how we're going to do it. Fixed it all up. Now I had turned in $50. <laughs> that was the deposit. I was so thrilled with what the Lord had done, I knew I was going to be able to get exercise. Can't you picture that? <laughs> 80 acres worth of exercise. Brother. And I was so thrilled with the answers by claiming God's promises that I got a hold of my brother, Miles Roy. Any of you ever hear of, meet my brother, Miles Roy? And I took him out. I said, Miles Roy, I just want to share with you. You know, the Lord likes to have a share. I want to share with you the miracle that God has performed. Look at the place he's given. My wife and I were both so thrilled. He looked the place all over. I said, I wrote a letter to the Lord and look at the answer. He looked it all over and he said, uh, he had a very solemn face as he said it. He said, did you say you wrote a letter to the Lord? I said, yes, I surely did. He said, if you ask me, 
I'm pretty sure the Lord didn't get his mail that day. <laughs> Do you know what doubt does? Doubt goes right to the middle of the solar plexus. And I felt something there in the middle of my stomach I hadn't felt in a long time. It was like I had, I had drunk a, a pint of lemon juice, you know. And then a very weak feeling. I took him back. I said, I've got to have help now. I didn't tell him that. My brother David was a little farther away. He'd helped me. David, I want you to come out and see the wonderful miracle Lord has wrought. He came out and looked it over. I said, I won't tell him about the letter. It didn't go over big. I'll tell him about the prayer. I said, my wife and I claimed a promise and look at what the Lord gave us. And he took on a more serious look than my brother Miles. His face was so arranged that he could. He said, you said the Lord answered your prayer? I said, yes, isn't it wonderful? He said, if you ask me, the devil answered it. Now you can imagine my stomach already in the situation it was. Now I had two brothers in the pit of my stomach. And you know, that does something. I knew then I must get help, so I got my mother. She was 80 years old. Mother, come and see what the Lord did for me, for us. She looked the place over. She said, how much have you paid down? I said, $50. She said, Glenn. And the way she said it, I knew it wasn't coming out right. Glenn, if you'll back out, I'll give you the $50. Now I had two brothers and my mother all in the pit of my stomach. And you know, that's a stomach full. I tried once more. I got my head elder to come out, Brother Kilgore. Brother Kilgore, see what the Lord gave me. And he didn't know anything the others did. He looked it all over and he said, ho, 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 ho. The hollowest laugh. Now my brothers began to come back and said, Glenn, you've made a horrible mistake. You're guilty of presumption. Every time my, and they loved me with all their hearts. They just felt I'd made a terrible mistake. And my brother David in particular, every time he would come, his eyes would bug. Did you ever see how crab's eyes come out? Just like that. And they'd glare and he'd almost tremble. He said, Glenn, you're going to lose your shirt. You're going to lose your shirt. I imagine he, he referred to my shirt a thousand times. When I'd see him coming, I'd feel my shirt begin to <laughs> tremble. And I said, oh, Lord, if you don't mind, will you please keep him away? And then I remember the text. It says, a brother's born for adversity. I said, Lord, they're giving me more than I need. <laughs> keep coming back. You're guilty presumption. You know what I did? I went back and reconstructed every step of that deal. I said, if I have made a mistake, I've made many mistakes, but if in this particular thing I've made a mistake, I'll back out. Otherwise, I cannot back out on God. What do you say? I said, I can't do it. And I found as I reconstructed it, in that particular case, I had moved wisely and right, but in terrific faith, simple faith. Yet he'd come back again. Your gilly presumption. Then I began to read everything I could read on prayer. I wanted to be sure. And my friends, then, by the way, when the $3,500 was to be turned in, the place had sold and I turned it in right on time. And the lawyer thought I was the smartest man he ever saw. And the devil wanted it that way. You know why? The devil wants you and me to take credit that belongs to God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, we'd, several weeks had passed. 
Now, five days from now, I had to turn in $6,000, and I didn't have a cent, and I had no idea where it was coming from. And I said, oh, Lord, please come to my rescue. I reached up into my library, and I picked down a book entitled Education, the most unlikely book you could think of to tell about prayer, education. And just like an angel opened it to page 253, and I found a whole chapter on prayer and faith. And my eyes lighted on these words. In the prayer of faith, there's a divine science. I said, what? Lord, there's a science? I've been preaching for 25 years. I never knew that there was a science in the prayer of faith. The next sentence said, it is a science that everyone who would make his life work a success must understand. I said, Lord, I want my life work to be a success. I want to understand it. I said, it must be here in this chapter or you wouldn't find statements like that. And there I found it. And it said the basis of the science of prayer is to claim God's promise. And friends, there are 3,573 promises or clusters of promises in God's beautiful book, his love letter. I said, Lord, wonderful, I'll claim a promise for $6,000. I need it in five days. And I want to tell you the tears were in my eyes and in my voice as I begged of God to show me where there'd be a promise for $6,000. And the Lord helped me to open to Philippians chapter 4, 19. 4, verse 19. My God shall supply all of Glenn Coon's need. You can put your name right in it. Thank you, Lord. I need $6,000. And then it said, these are, the, these are the principles of claiming the promise. For any gift that he's promised, we may ask. I said, that's what Jesus said, Matthew 7, 7, ask. It said, then we are to believe that we receive. That's what Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty four. believe. Then we are to return thanks to God that we have received. That's what Jesus did at the grave of Lazarus, John eleven forty one. He said, Father, I thank you, you've heard me. I knelt down with my hand on that promise. Dear Lord, I need $6,000. And I told God why. You know why? You know why I needed $6,000? Because I needed to keep my word. I said, Lord, somebody put into my heart to keep my word. And that somebody had to be my creator. You wouldn't impress me to keep my word unless you kept your word. How about that? So, Lord, I am determined to keep my word. To help me keep my word, I must have the $6,000. You do keep your word. And I found one reason that a lot of Christians find it hard to believe God's promises is because they don't keep their promises. My friends, Christianity is something that's practiced seven days a week, not just one day. Christianity is something that we carry in our business activities. It's not something we drop at the door at the beginning of the week and put it on when God's holy worship day comes. No. Christianity is something that deals with your business dealings, with our relationship, with our friends and our business acquaintances, and all every day in the week. What do you say? So I said, Lord, that's the reason. I ask you to supply my need. I believe you're doing it. Thank you, I have received. And I prayed that for five days. The fifth day, I got up from my knees, no money.
not a sign of a cent, so to speak. That was a crisis of my Christian life. Lord, I've asked, I've believed, I've taken the promise. I've asked you to do it. I've believed it. I've told you I believe. I've thanked you I've received, but I don't see it. What's wrong? And then the Lord in his graciousness revealed to me this. He said, seek and you will find. Only little tiny birds expect their food to be brought to them. The little tiny babies open their mouths because they can't fly. They can't go anywhere. So the Lord has arranged for others to bring them their food. But when those little birds can fly, they go and get what God has prepared. Coon, you're not a baby. You're a mature human being. You go out and seek it. It's there, and you'll find it. Thank you, Lord. What promise shall I claim? And the thought voice from the Lord said, Claim Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with mine eye. I said, Lord, I'm going to jump in my car. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the fight of faith I had? You're going to jump in your car, having no idea where you're going, and you're going to find $6,000. Can you, can you imagine how you'd feel? I felt the same way. It was uncanny. I'm going where there's $6,000. I don't know where it is. If I knew where it is, I would know where I'm going. Since I don't know where it is, I don't know where I'm going. But the Lord knows where it is, and he knows where I'm going, and he said, I'll guide you with mine eye. Beautiful Christ of Calvary, what do you say? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So I went right down to Culver Road and turned left, and the devil caught up. The devil said, how did you know you should turn left instead of right? Isn't he a devil? Because God promises to guide. I went down to Main Street and turned right. The devil caught up again. See, I chased him out once. How do you know you should turn right? Because God says he'll keep his word, and he told me he would guide me, and he impressed me. I drove way down Main Street, found one place to park, put my nickel in, and then I was almost sick at my stomach. I looked up, and there were the offices of my atheistic attorney, whom I had so beautifully testified that God keeps his word and I'll have the money. Now you're going to ask this man for money? I said, no, Lord. The Lord said, yes. He said in, in Isaiah 42, 16, I'll bring the blind by a way they knew not. And that surely was a way I didn't know. But Lord, you can't, even, you can't even have an appointment with this man without days and days in advance. He's an important man. Go on. I'd gone early. Walked upstairs, two flights of stairs. There was his office girl. She said, Mr. Liebschutz, right in his office. Walk right in. Praise the Lord. When I got in there, I hardly knew what to say. What are you going to say? But the Lord says, I'll teach you. So we talked about the weather. Isn't it nice that you can talk about weather? <laughs> By that time, the Lord had helped me know what to say. Mr. Liebschutz, where could I borrow $6,000 for three months? He said, down there at the bank. It wasn't his bank, even. <laughs> I said, they don't know me very well at the bank. Picked up his telephone. Give me Bill. Hello, Bill, this is Phil. That was their name, Bill and Phil. 
Uh, I have a friend here in the office, Dr. Kuhn. Loan him $6,000 on his personal uh, note for three months. Okay, Bill. It was all done in, I believe, 15 seconds. And he looks at me much to say, now what would you like? <laughs> you know what I would like? I would like to get at that bank before Bill changed his mind. <laughs> so I must have taken about three steps at a time down the stairway. And when I got out to the street, what are you going to do? When you... I wanted to run, but I thought if I start running, the police may think I'm an escapee they've been looking for. And if I walk, I may get there too slowly. Did you ever try to run and walk at the same time? When I got the bank, I straightened up. I found this. Faith has to work. And when you expect $6,000, you, you look the best you can. Walked in Mr. Bill, I met Bill, and I, and I bet. When you borrow 6,000, always bend from your hips. They don't know then but what you have a lot of sense. The Bible says even a, a fool, when he's quiet, they don't know what he's smart. He said, oh, yes, just put your name on the note. They, they, they deposited $6,000 to my account without even my wife's signature. Talk about miracles. God wants you and me to carry on the work of Calvary. And God saw I needed those miracles, and that was but the beginning of miracle after miracle after miracle in connection with that farm. Oh, I don't have the time to tell you, but my friends, miracle after miracle, God said, look, you give me your heart, and then tell men and women how good the Lord is, and I will take care of you. Seek you first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, then come to me, and I'll perform the miracles that it requires. At the end of three months, I made a payment, renewed the note. At the end of the next three months, I paid it in full, I believe. We had a farm. Somebody says, now, don't quit now. <laughs> I've got to quit now. But at another service, we'll have to tell you, maybe we'll take another minute now. Shall I take another minute now? We had miracle after miracle after miracle take place. We couldn't plant sweet corn on that farm until the 14th and 15th of July. You know, you're, you're almost ready to eat sweet corn then. I said, Lord, you've worked so many miracles for me. Will you do a little extra, please? The neighbors already think I'm crazy. <laughs> Will you please? I'm going to plant sweet corn now, the 14th and 15th of July. Would you please hold back the frost and give me a nice crop of sweet corn? And I did. We were reaping sweet corn. I was picking sweet corn in Rochester, New York, up until Thanksgiving. People came from 30 and 40 miles. The best sweet corn they could find anywhere, they found at our place. You know why? There was no sweet corn anywhere else. <laughs> and my 80-year-old mother was there by the highway selling this. It really, it was tremendous. It was super malgunctious. That sweet corn was delicious. Oh, my, I said, thank you, Lord. I don't deserve it. But, Lord, you ex was I getting exercise with perspiration and sweat combined? And, friends, that was 30 years ago. I said, Lord, you've taught me now the ABCs of prayer. I'm going to use them with souls that are stricken with sin. My friends, then I would go, or people would come into my home. A man who wanted victory in his life, he wanted victory over tobacco. To him, tobacco use was a symbol of defeat. 
I went in his home and I said, Brother, there's something else I want to share with you before we talk about tobacco. I want to share with you the salvation found in Jesus Christ. Then he will take care of the tobacco. Have you ever found Jesus? The minister that went with me, he thought the man was a Christian. The man said, no, I'm not a Christian. I said, how would you like to find his salvation? We'll use the ABCs. We knelt down and took 1 John 1, 9, I believe it was. You can confess your sins. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Pray the prayer after me. He prayed sentence by sentence, phrase by phrase. Lord, I'm a sinner. You promised to forgive me and cleanse me. I ask you to do it. I believe it because you cannot lie. Repeating. Thank you, I am forgiven and cleansed. And then he was ready to get up. I said, don't get up. Now you're God's child. You're God's child, aren't you? You've asked it. You've believed it. You've claimed. You're his child right now, no matter how you feel. And he looked at me. He could hardly believe it. You are his child. And tonight you are his child if you ask him to forgive you and cleanse you and believe it. I said, now while we're on our knees, we'll claim John 1, 12. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. He'll give you now the power to act like a child of his should act. The power is within you, brother. We're going to ask God to give you that power. We're going to believe he's giving you that power. We're going to thank him. He is giving that power. And my friends, that man arose from his knees, a new creature in Christ Jesus. He was baptized two weeks later. He had found the one altogether lovely. I thank God that God is interested in your and my telling men and women what a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. If you've never given your heart to him before, will you tonight? If you have given your heart before, will you say, Lord, I'm not going to leave it for somebody else to tell men and women how good the Lord is. I'm going to start telling them how good the Lord is. Will you do it? Dear Lord, thank you this evening that you've promised if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then you've said as we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, everything else will be added. We ask, Lord, tonight. We believe and thank you we've received in Jesus' name according to our faith. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.